Pastor Ben and I uh, know each other from some preaching cohorts around uh, Baltimore, and I have just come to really appreciate um, him and the way that he uh, cares for and talks about you all. So I was, when he asked if I could come preach while he was away, I was very honored and said yes right away, and then told my family. <laughs> um, is there a... Um, who I will introduce you to in a moment uh, via a picture, because they're actually serving at our home church of St. Mo's today. Um, but I'm also happy to be here because I'm a neighbor. I live about a mile down Falls Road in Medfield, and my daughters play for the Hamden Huns across the street at Roosevelt Park. So um, I imagine our paths are crossing uh, fairly frequently. So there's my husband Gideon, my daughters Ainsley and Eliana, and our dog, Blue, who we really love. <laughs> um, so I serve with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I'm the area director overseeing, I see you, <laughs> overseeing a ministry that's happening all around Baltimore and Western Maryland. And um, it's, it's such a joy to get to work with college students uh, who are just kind of starting out on their, on their own faith journey, you know, like stepping away from their parents and having to do whatever their family is doing and making their own decisions. Um, growing up, I was the oldest, I mean the youngest of three. So that's my older brother, he's 15 years older than me, and my older sister who's eight years older. Um, so growing up, life, I was like born into busyness, <laughs> right? My brother was a high school athlete. He was 15 when I was born. Um, my sister was in elementary school and she went on to become an athlete too. I was not, I was a dancer, <laughs> uh, but our family motto growing up uh, was we can do it all, <laughs> highly problematic, <laughs> but there were many Saturdays where we would go from, uh, you know, practices to visiting friends, we'd be piling in the car, and my dad would say, kind of with pride, like, all right, family, we can do it all, um, and, and that has almost become like a, a command <laughs> um, in my life, right, I've internalized that motto. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit today about some spiritual practices that can, that can help us if you happen to be someone who either has that internalized or feel like other people are telling you that you need to be someone who can do it all. Um, last summer, uh, I had the chance to catch up with some friends from college as they were passing through town. Um, everyone has their kids now, and it was a really joyful gathering of, of folks. Um, uh, some of the friends that lived in New York came through, and so all the Baltimore friends gathered to hang out together. Um, and one of the fun things that happened is the kids got to play together, but so did the grown-ups. So those are my friends, Ajiman and Jonathan. Okay, now, um, who calls this device a seesaw? Okay, any, any teeter-totter people out there? Okay, I don't know what the, like, regional you know, wording is. Maybe there's like other words for this thing too, but okay, I'm glad we're on the same, same page of seesaw. Um, you know, most images you see of a seesaw, it's kids and there's one person who's like on the bottom and one person who's on the top. And so we snapped this picture because we were like, oh my gosh, the seesaw is balanced. Like they couldn't get it to move. They had to get kids to come in and help them. Um, and you know, I think that balance is pretty persnickety. It can be pretty hard for us to find in life. Um, it's elusive. And if you've spent time training for any kind of physical activity 
or even just like healing, doing physical therapy, you know that anytime you work one muscle, you need to work another. Um, during, uh, while everything was kind of stuck at home during COVID, I was experiencing all this back pain and I started to go to physical therapy and my therapist was like, well, we're gonna work on your abs. And I was like, but my back hurts. <laughs> um, and she was thinking of the, it's the opposite muscles that need to get strengthened. Um, so this morning, we're gonna talk a bit about the spiritual practice and um, some people might call it a discipline of solitude. But we're also gonna talk about the opposite of that seesaw um, and community. As followers of Jesus, we wanna be people who are strong all around in our spiritual practices and make sure that as we, as we learn one discipline, we're also learning what might feel like the opposite. Um, I think um, as a whole, our, our culture does our best to try and avoid real solitude, right? Even if we like being alone, right? Spiritual solitude implies that we're intentionally being with God and intentionally trying to be attentive to what God is doing. And so when we talk about solitude as a spiritual practice, we're not talking about like watching Netflix alone or just reading a book alone or, you know, scrolling through social media. <laughs> um, solitude implies more than just a body count of who's in the room. Um, when we're practicing solitude, we're choosing to be alone and undistracted so that we can focus our attention on God's presence with us. The, the struggle to prioritize solitude, it, it's not new, right? Um, I think I like to say like, oh, but there's so much now, like my, my phone and my wrist are buzzing and, and there's so much more going on around us. Um, it definitely is exacerbated <laughs> by some of those things. Um, but, uh, but there was a 17th century mathematician and, and dabbling theologian, Blaise Pascal, who said, all of man's misfortune comes from one thing, which is not knowing how to sit quietly in a room. <laughs> Most of us are not so good at silence or stillness or rest or quiet. There might be one of those words that kind of feels a little more particular to you. Um, and I, this is hard for me, right? I shared with you my family motto um, and internalizing that motto into adulthood of like, you have to do it all um, while facing the external reality that, that doing it all both is never enough still um, and, and two, that often is doing damage in other places of my life when I try to do it all. Um, so I, I'm not an expert practitioner of solitude by any means, but I'm finding that practicing this way of Jesus um, is bringing me rescue in my, my physical, my emotional, my spiritual life. It's, it's pulling me out of places of burnout or um, resentment. And our lives, they get full of, of people and noise and new ideas and news and news and uh, social media. And this means that we come into spaces, into our work, into time with family, into church, uh, still kind of distracted by what, what else has been pulling at our attention. Um, minds and hearts that feel already kind of full to the brim. We've created for ourselves this life cycle 
where there's very little margin to actually process with God and with people the most important parts of our days and our lives. And that kind of living starts to wear on our souls. Uh, when, uh, when my husband and I um, got engaged, he chose an engagement ring for me that I still wear that, um, that has kind of a lot of intricate designs to it. It's not an antique, but it looks like one. And when we got married and added um, bands around it, our jeweler warned us that wearing the rings together, um, it, it, they would like bump against each other constantly throughout the days, and it would wear away the intricacy of the design. Um, and, and sure enough, it has. <laughs> um, but when our lives are, are so full, and when we only spend our days going and going from thing to thing, I think the intricacies of our soul start to get worn down a bit as well. And the deepening and the ability to become Christ-like gets kind of worn away for us. And when we feel worn down and, you know, you hit the end of your day and just that feeling of like, I'm so glad today is over. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good indicator that some things in our lives are out of alignment. As people who lean the weight of our lives on Jesus, we always want to be looking to see, how did Jesus handle this? Jesus' days were really full with a lot of demands and a lot of big emotions. And in the Gospels, we catch glimpses of, of Jesus also needing to practice solitude. Um, I say practice even in Jesus's case because it took intention. It, it actually took work, I think, for Jesus to get time away and alone. He was constantly being followed by crowds and, and people demanding things of him. And so often Jesus had to sneak off um, late at night or wake up really early in the morning to go and be alone. So we're going to look at two places in Mark's Gospel where he recounts Jesus' practices of solitude. Um, the first is in Mark 1, verse 35, and I think I'll read the verse or two after that as well. Very early the next morning, and so this is on the heels of Jesus has just been healing lots of people. And they've been bringing everyone to him at the end of the Sabbath day. And very early the next morning, Jesus got up and went to a place where he could be alone and pray. Simon and the others started looking for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> Jesus replied, we must go to the nearby towns so that I can tell the good news to those people. This is why I have come. You know, I've always read this as just... Uh, super spiritual Jesus moment. Like, of course, Jesus gets up early to have his long, quiet time. He's Jesus, you know. Um, but we see that this is actually a pattern for Jesus of practicing prayer and solitude. Um, and it actually seems to be the way that Jesus stays engaged in, in the work that is before him and the way that he stays engaged in the community that he's traveling with, the disciples and the communities that he comes to serve. The life that he led here 
meant facing hard realities of brokenness and caring deeply for people, being close to their pain. And so the solitude seems to be what makes it possible for him to keep pressing in. And it seems to be the way that Jesus recovers from, uh, from maybe some of the fatigue of the compassion um, and the way that he holds space for necessary lament. And we also recognize that Jesus in, comes out of uh, this time of prayer and solitude in Mark 1, saying, okay, let's go. Here's what's next. So this time of prayer and solitude for him, it's a moment of alignment where he again seeks the Father and listens for God. Maybe he holds questions before God um, and then aligns with God and goes out. So stick with me for a moment. We're going to zoom forward in Mark's gospel um, from the beginning to the end. It's the end of Jesus' ministry, um, the night before Jesus dies. And he's just spent the evening with his friends in community. And now is headed out to pray um, with his, in community and also in solitude. Um, and this is the only place where we really get to see how Jesus spent that time in solitude. Um, we, we get to know the words. You know, other places Jesus tells the disciples how to pray, but here we see Jesus praying to the Father. Let's take a look. This is Mark 14, verses 32 to 40. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same as before. So we get this picture of Jesus here feeling gut-wrenched, right? Like you just can, can... Feel it as you read, that every part of him inside is kind of like twisted. And while he's alone, Jesus' solitude is a prayer that wrestles with the suffering that's before him. And yet, first and foremost, he's also saying, not my will, God, but yours. He's aligning himself with God. So we learn from these two pictures of solitude for Jesus. That the way that Jesus pursues solitude and what happens for him there is that it's a space to get real with God. I'm I'm actually encouraged to see how honest Jesus can be about how he's feeling and what's going on. It gives us permission to bring before God what's really happening for us what's really going on in our hearts and minds. 
And solitude is also the place where we're reminded of God's plan and God's work, where we can keep kind of coming back to that recentering. Because it's also in this solitude that Jesus says, this is how I'm feeling, this is, this is where I'm suffering, but God, it's your will, it's your plan. I'm trying to learn to pray more like Jesus did in the garden. Somewhere along the way, you know, I, I think a lot of us learn prayer as like a, a checklist, right? Like, I gotta pray for my neighbor, I gotta pray for my kids, I gotta pray for my friend. But I'm learning to pray more and more. Like, I really believe that the risen Lord is meeting me in these prayers. And I really appreciated hearing you all share the way that you're experiencing Jesus meeting you as you pray. I've been praying a lot recently for my best friend, Anna. Oops, sorry. There's a picture of her here. That's me and Anna. Um, Anna was my roommate in college, and um, we became best friends over time. Uh, And she lives in Chicago, where she's a teacher. Um, And she and her husband live in a mostly Puerto Rican neighborhood, and she teaches in a mostly black school. And she has been facing a lot of racism and discrimination um, in their neighborhood, in her school. Her kids have been facing um, that as well in their school. And um, it's been hard to know how to pray for her. It's been hard to know the words to offer up. Um, I, I want to you know, pray like, dear God, please make racism stop. <laughs> um, okay, that's a good prayer to pray. <laughs> Uh, But there's a lot more feeling, right? There's a lot of, like, kind of pounding on the ground I want to do. Um, Because my prayers often sound more like, God, this isn't fair. Uh, Anna and her family are giving so much of themselves to this city that you've called them to. And and it's been hard through through teaching through COVID and trying to care for students who have a lot going on um, in, in their homes. And they're just getting stomped on. My my prayers are like, God, take away the the pain and the hurt. And I'm learning to say all these things and then to stop and be quiet and to hear how God wants to respond to these cries of lament. I can pray for Anna in this way because we've committed to be community to one another. We've committed to being real about what is hard, and what's heartbreaking in our lives. Um, I mention this because I think it often happens that people can push aside solitude because it can feel selfish or self-centered. Um, you know, no one wants to say, sorry, I can't, I can't hang out with you. I can't have dinner because I'm being alone tonight. <laughs> I've often heard solitude and community get pitted against each other as if they're in opposition. But as we start to practice both and find balance in that, we're able to, in our times of solitude, hold up our community in deeper and deeper ways, um, naming the the laments and and interceding for our communities and also listening to God for our communities. We need to keep showing up to spaces like this 
in other spaces of community, um, in the midst of evil and injustice and distortion around us, we need to be reminded of the hope that we have of, of Jesus bringing healing for us individually, for our community, and for our city. It's powerful to be here this morning in a room of people worshiping um, and, and singing about who God is and to hear the ways that God has answered your prayers and, and just met you throughout the week. I need that continual reminder. We also need to keep creating the space for solitude so we can be honest with God about the tensions that we feel. Um, April Yamasaki uh, says it this way in her book, Sacred Pauses. God speaks in the silence, and that silence releases me to be myself before God and to pour out my heart in confession, worry, joy, shame, frustration, or whatever else I may be carrying. Silence allows me to appreciate God in a new way and allows for a depth of intimacy that may even make me uncomfortable at times. When I don't have that space, my work and my life in general, it just starts to become like a frenzied striving rather than a purposeful pursuit, which I believe is what we're called to. <laughs> when we give into that frenzied striving, we start to, to to pursue things out of our own priorities and our own self-made identities, um, no longer because we're moving towards God's priorities um, or the identity that God has named for us. God hasn't named me Judy to be a person who does it all. <laughs> and every day I need to listen for, for who God is calling me to be in that day. Even Jesus stepped away to lonely places in order to hear the Father's voice reminding him of who he was and what he was called to be doing. So in solitude, we get, we're invited to be our true selves with the one true God. And we bring all that we're receiving from God back into community. So I want to just finish with a few practical things because we, we can talk about solitude and we can talk about community, but actually making it happen in our lives can feel trickier. There's a lot of things that, that vie for our attention. Um, this spring, I finally gave in to waking up significantly earlier so that I could get some of that alone, quiet time before my kids were awake. Um, and it felt like a real sacrifice, but it has been a real blessing. Um, so I think there's, there's actually two, two um, kind of tips for making solitude and community happen that are the same. Um, the, the same thing needs to be in our lives for both to happen. Um, the first is we have to plan for it. Um, it. It doesn't just come naturally to us to prioritize our community or prioritize our solitude. Um, so it needs to be something that we actually put into our calendars and kind of arrange our schedules around. Um, and the second is that we need to learn to be people who can stay present present to God and present to people. And, and I think if we grow in being people who ask, ask questions and are curious with God and with other people, and then be people who also learn how to listen intently, this will serve us as we, as we seek to find the balance of community and solitude. 
you know, maybe you've, you've um, been given this image before. Uh, if, you were to, um, if you were hiking and you had your Nalgene and you're thirsty, so you're going to get some nice, clear, not Jones Falls water. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you fill up that Nalgene, um, for a while, everything is kind of swirling around. Uh, you can see all kinds of particles of, of, of dirt and maybe some rocks are in there. Um, and as you let it sit, things start to settle out. And that's what happens when we give our time and, um, and intention to being with God in solitude and to being in community with people. And putting in that time of being present and, and patient, um, things start to settle out. And you can see more clearly what's in there. I spoke earlier of my ring that's worn away, um, some of the beauty and the, the intricacy. Um, the only um, solution or remedy for that offered by our jeweler was to solder the rings together, to fuse them. Um, and I think that there's a metaphor in there <laughs> about how we need to be fusing our lives uh, with God and in community so that we can say yes to living the way that Jesus did um, and with the practices of community and solitude. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you call us to these good spaces. You call us to spaces of solitude where we can be fully present to you, God where we can bring before you all that we're carrying, and then we can be quiet and listen for what you might want to say to us about that. God, would you show us how to be people who pursue that kind of relationship with you? Would you show us how to be people who can bring some quiet and stillness to our lives so that we can walk more fully with you and in your purposes for us? And God, would you help us to be good community to one another um, in this church, in our neighborhoods, in our families? God, would you help us to be people who love others like you do? Would you help us to carve out time for other people? <laughs> would you help us to be good question askers? That we might be pointing people more and more towards you and your kingdom here in Baltimore. And God, we thank you for the gift that we don't do it alone. Thank you for the gift of this community, of this church, and the ways that we get to be community to one another. So God, this week even, would you show us spaces to be intentional about our solitude with you and our community with others. And may we see more and more a beautiful picture of your kingdom unfolding. Amen.